Join us as we gather around the hedge, where we dig into technology, business, and culture with the finest minds in computer networking. Well, hello, Tom. How are you today? Hi, Russ. I'm doing well. How are you? So was there enough room down the side of that bookcase that I can't see to put all the books that you own of mine? There there are, yes, all of your books <laughs> that I have fit on this bookshelf. <laughs> no, I mean I mean they're all on the side where I can't see them though, right? That's oh, the oh. Well, no, there's a couple. You can't really see. There's a couple Cisco press that are yours. <laughs> I was just wondering how much trouble Over, you had gone to in arranging the book. <laughs> That's what I was curious about. Yeah. That's, that's, that was my whole thing. And today we have Frank Seasink. Where are you, Frank? Uh, I'm actually in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Oh, okay. Well, then you're not too far away. I guess I guess you were in the same area as I was when I was in Raleigh-ish. I was kind of south of town. You were kind of north of town. I did go to college in Chapel Hill. Yeah, I can't claim that. For, for a while. <laughs> That's my PhD is from Chapel Hill. So, oh, nice. Yeah, so that's that's kind of not Chapel Hill University. It's a really funny story. You know, um, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary bought Chapel Hill University's campus, and now Chapel Hill University is like in Greensboro or something crazy. It's not even in Chapel Hill, and they didn't change their name, but it's like UNC Chapel Hill or something. It's like in this. I don't know. It's weird. The whole thing. Well, there's really, a. Yeah, there's a UNC Greensboro. Obviously, the yeah. main campus is here in Chapel Hill. And I think there's 12, 14 other remote campuses. So. Yeah, but this is not UNC. This is like, I say UNC, but it's like Chapel ah. Hill University or something. And and they're not in Chapel Hill anymore. They're someplace else. But that campus was bought by another university. And um, so it's quite entertaining. Um, anyway, so how are you, Frank? I'm good. Good. Awesome. Frank's office is much cleaner than either Tom or I's. No, oh, that's actually an illusion. You don't see what's right here. Oh, okay. <laughs> if I would turn the monitor with the camera and show you that, there's a pile of papers here. It's actually a war zone to my right and actually just below me here, which you can't see either, which that, that desk is actually, that's usually where my son sits if he comes in. Okay. And uh, so that stays relatively clean because it's mostly his stuff. Ah, Yes, a messy desk is a, is a sign of a messy mind. Is that what they say? <laughs> so I've always wondered if that's true, what a clean desk is a sign of. Insanity, I would say. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or an empty mind. Something something along those lines. I'm not entirely certain. So today we are talking about user interface and how people just don't seem to know how to design user interfaces. I mean, I've seen entire courses on UX design, and I still wonder, like, what are these people doing? Where, where do they come up with this? Although sometimes I think there's a rationality, there's a logic to it, but the logic is not what we expect. The logic is not to make you more efficient. It's actually to make you less efficient or it's to trick you into doing things, dark patterns. So I know this started with a rant with Frank and Frank, I'll let you talk about your rant with Slack. Uh, so yeah, that, that it, usually how this this kind of begins, right, is me kind of going off on something. Um, I don't know, a couple months ago, Slack started pushing out a change. Now, to this day, uh, they've only done it to two or three of the 10 or 12 workspaces I'm in, which is also makes it kind of annoying. Um, it's been going on for about two months now, I guess. 
but they made a change in that if for those who use slack if you're only in one workspace you won't see this but if you're in multiple workspaces you you for the longest time you always had this little icon on the left side one for each workspace and so you could quickly switch between the workspaces you were in so like i'm in one for internet too i'm in one for packet pushers i'm in one for uh net gurus there's a bunch of them that I, i'm connected to and what was nice was I could open up the window, glance down the left side. If there were little balls indicating unread messages, I could quickly go check those. And then, like I said, a few months ago, Slack made a change where they're, they claim it's you know to make you more efficient and work better. And what they did is they collapsed it and they got rid of that sidebar and they made it that you only see the one workspace you're in. And I'm like, no, this actually is more annoying to me because now I have to go click in the upper left corner on the icon for the workspace I'm in to pop up another menu, which will then finally let me see the other workspaces. Then I have to click on one of those to switch to that. And then I can finally go check the unread messages. And basically what used to be just a glance now took two, three clicks. And if you have 10 or 12 workspaces, that adds up. And it was like, what, what genius thought this was a good idea? Now, I, I I have to right away apologize because I think just beginning of this week, earlier this week, uh, I happened to look down and I saw something I hadn't seen before. They've actually added something into this new user interface that if you click on that icon, you get this drop-down menu showing all the workspaces you're part of. And at the bottom is an option to make those workspace icons uh, show up again. And I was like, that wasn't there a month ago. Uh, clearly, you know, others have complained and I give them, I give, you know, I, I complain about the stuff. I, I ran about the stuff I don't like, but then I, I also have to, you know, acknowledge when they listen and Slack apparently heard and listened to whoever uh, I'm just grateful because now I actually have my, my icons back. So I, my workflow hasn't changed, but it was a change to a user interface where you went, this isn't helping. This is actually hurting. This is less efficient. And I, I couldn't figure out why they would do it. It, it made no sense. I think the reason they did it was to save was to save screen space on smaller screens. That's my guess. But on the other hand, when they did it, they did the trade-off where now there is a secondary bar on the right side or on the left side next to the workspace. Um, what they call the workspace? Uh, uh, what do they call it? The workspace um, uh, switcher is what they call it. They've added a new one next to it that has this other stuff in it. And like all of none of that stuff, like none of that's adding anything to my life. I'm just saying none of that's adding anything to my life. I'm sorry. Like I really didn't need a button for activity. I didn't need a separate button for DMs. I could find those. I didn't need those. So, but this is, this is the typical, like, I'm going to make your life easier by changing the workspace by changing the user interface because we think it's confusing for X number of people. Therefore we're going to change it to fix it for them. And it doesn't matter that, that it may take up more real estate space or it may not do what you want it to do any longer. Um, and we have this all the time in it. We have this constantly in it. Um, you know, Microsoft word started out with a menu system that was insane. It was, it was as bad or worse than word. Perfect. And then they said, we know we'll, we'll make some things easily reachable. We'll put them in a ribbon. Yeah. And then we ended up with 20 ribbons because <laughs> everybody wants everything in their little ribbons. Like the only thing they ever did there to me that was intelligent was making the ribbon customizable so I can create my own. Like it, it is maddening. And I don't know, this is not just restricted to the world of, of user interfaces like GUIs. 
I don't know, Tom, anything like that that's annoyed you in the last? Well, I, I wouldn't say it's annoyed annoying because I it, like so many people, it's, this is just muscle memory at this point. But I have always found it entertaining that in Cisco iOS, the command to turn up an interface is no shutdown. I, I think that's funny. Like, <laughs> like, why isn't it startup? Or, you know, it, and, and also the number of times I've typed no shut and actually swapped out the U for an I on my keyboard accidentally. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just a source of entertainment to me. But, you know, it, it makes you wonder, like, what, where did that come from? I don't, you know, I, I think it's funny. I don't think it's like, it doesn't bother me particularly, but. That's yeah, that's well, the first no, thing I but it's of. but it's true, right? In in CLIs, we often have this weirdness, right, about these kinds of user interface things, where we're not really sure what the history is, and we're not really sure why it would be that way. But no shot, yeah, it doesn't make any sense, right? Um, I don't know why you couldn't have two commands, one to bring it up and one to take it down. That doesn't make any sense to me that you wouldn't have two commands. They do different. They don't really mean that. They do reverse the action. But then again, why isn't it the other way around? Why isn't right. why isn't up the normal and then you say shut down to take I don't know, whatever. It just seems kinda just seems kinda weird to me. I mean yeah. some things like, like that with iOS, I would think probably you know, all I can guess is it's historical in that they probably started by writing configuration parameters. And then at one point they went, no, 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 no. If we want to remove that, we'll put a no in front of it, right? Because that's the traditional no ACL, no shut, no this, no that. But then when you look at the config after you've done that command, that line's not there anymore. And so there is this inference that you have to know what are the defaults, you know? And that's that's one of the hairy ones in, in iOS land is that a lot of times you're going, wait, what's, what is the default here? Um, it's not clear. And that's you talked about, you know, the inconsistencies it takes me to programming languages. Like you have very orthogonal structures to certain programming languages, and then you have those that aren't and you go, gosh, darn it. Why can't you just be consistent? For me, it's not just the user interface. Like you say, you, we cross over, right? You have user interface and you have user experience, right? UX. And in that realm, something that popped into my head, you ask things that annoy me. Um, do either of you guys have kids? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Older. Yeah. Older. Yeah. Right. So I have a son. He's old enough to play video games. Um, have you ever had to set up your child to use Minecraft with a Microsoft account Yep. or deal with Nintendo for just about anything? The Microsoft one I could almost get because it wasn't their product originally, right? They bought the Mojang Studios or whatever. Um, but Nintendo, right? Their entire market is predominantly children. And, and we have laws to protect our kids, you know, different, different Europe and the US, we all have different laws for that. And that's a good thing, but it is amazing to me how absolutely painful, and I'm a tech person, how absolutely painful it was to set up Nintendo so that my son could basically play some of these games. And then the process of setting up the Microsoft account so that he could play online with a friend of his who had a Switch. Um, and you're sitting there going, really? Really, you guys couldn't simply, I mean, it's like the con that from an abstract perspective, this isn't hard to understand. I'm a parent. I want to set up access for my child. But the process, I sat there and I thought, I told my wife, what do non-technical people do? Because, oh my goodness, uh, the, the pain points are staggering. They call you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, that's what they do. They call you. Or they yeah. just tell their kids, no, you're not playing online. You know, I can't yeah. figure it out. I can't figure it out. Yeah, but it is exactly. it is amazing to me because you sit there going, come on, man, this is your business. This is where all the money is. And there's a certain 
I, I'm a logic. I, I try as much as possible to be you know, keep it simple, stupid, and a logical person. Try to keep things as simple and obvious as possible. And I find those systems to be anything but. And 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 I, there's cases where you understand it. There's cases where you you see a, a system and you're like, my goodness, that's convoluted. But it's a, a hard problem to solve. It's not intuitively obvious, um, but there are so many places where that's not the case, where you go, why? Why am I doing 20 clicks instead of two? You know, the problem is I need to, I need this and I should only have to enter this and that's the end of it. But instead you go through, you know, I mean, good Lord, I'm, I'm going to be speaking out of turn. So I'm going to be very uh, abstract here for a moment. But if you've ever had to deal with travel and reimbursement, some oh, of the systems my. for that. Oh, yes. <laughs> make me make oh, me want to yes. shoot myself and never travel again. Yes. So I know. I know. Well, I mean, the whole idea of I'm going to ask you how much you think your trip is going to cost, then you're going to get approval for that amount, and two weeks later we expect it to cost the same. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but you know that doesn't work that way. That's crazy, and I think sometimes this is system design creeping into UI design. Unfortunately, I think that from a coder's perspective. You build a set of structure, structures that are separated out to solve different problems. And then you go to build the UI and you're like, well, there's no way between these two structures. So I'm just going to ask them to re-enter the information. I'm going to ask them to enter it a different way at a different time in the wrong order. Because it's in the order for me. It's in my order because I'm the person running the database but it's not in your order because you're the person, but they don't really care, right? This is, this is externalized. Um, this is an externalized um, cost as, as an economist like Thomas Sowell might talk about, like, you know, externalized negativity or externalized cost. It doesn't cost me anything to solve the problem my way. And if it costs, it doesn't apparently. And if it costs you something, well, I, you know, my job is simpler whatever get over it and that that that's you know kind of i think we hit that an awful lot a lot more when you when you said that i was like have you been building job search engines because <laughs> <laughs> you know every one of them i've seen it's like you know log in create an account upload your resume as a word document or a pdf and then oh by the way now fill in everything that you just did oh and it'll try to again. fill it in for you it'll try to fill it in for you and it's wrong <laughs> Which yeah. is even worse because then you have to go back and delete all the junk that it put in there. And you're like, no, that's all wrong. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really, really bad. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this externalizing thing. And, you know, I think that's also true when you go back to the history of iOS was that, you know, the way iOS originally built its, its, I don't know if anybody knows this history or not, but like the way iOS originally did its CLI was, it was a group of global variables. Literally, it was global variables stored in .h files. That's what it was. And every every application like Edge or POSPF, BGP, whatever, what they would do is they go into this massive header file with all these globals, and they would declare all the defaults for the globals. There's thousands of them all over the place. And so there's a single software package or a single module that when you type show run, it goes back and NVGENs that stuff. And the way it NVGENs it is, is there is a string attached to the structure. So it's a structure. So you have a value, a default value or a range of possible values or the default value. And then you have a string and you pull the string and you 
sprintf it with the value, but before sprintfing it, you actually check to see if the value is the default. And so you just don't print it if it's the default, right? So that way you cut down on the amount of stuff. Now, later on, flags were added to say, no, always print this. But in the original iOS code, it wasn't that way at all. And so I think that caught on as just the way of doing things. And so, you know, you just do it that way. Same thing in FR routing. I mean, we have the same, not, we don't use global variables, but it's the same sort of a structure when you, when you write int or write, write whatever, show run, which is another one like write int. Okay, wait a minute. I'm showing the <laughs> running configuration or I'm writing it. But when I do show run, I'm showing the running configuration. And when I write, I don't write the configuration to the running or I don't write the running configuration. I, I tell it where I'm writing to. And that doesn't make any sense to me, right? It should be if I have a configuration called run, <laughs> I should write run. And then there should be some other thing tagged on the end of it to tell me where to go. But we assume you're writing the running configuration which doesn't necessarily make sense, right? It's not necessarily true. So yeah, th these are like historical artifacts. Again, going back to this is the way it was easy for me to do as a coder. So I'm just going to do it that way. And then, you know, you have to adapt yourself to the machine, right? I mean, I don't know. It's it's all hammer handles are straight. So you have to learn to flick your wrist to handle the, handle the hammer. They don't make handle, hammers with properly shaped hand handles so that you don't have to, you know, use your wrist quite so much and whatever the, it is for, and for anyone thinking they might jump into a API versus CLI, I'm sure y'all already know this, but API yeah. rest API endpoints are just as bad, if not worse. Like yeah. you have an endpoint that says, you know, get, get list of whatever. And then you get back this horrid thing. That's not a list at all. And you're like, Oh, and I have to go ask the API all these other questions. Like all I yes. wanted was, and your thing was, but it's not. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's not stored that way. Right. Right. It's not stored that way. So they have to like, I mean, it's like, um, even in Yang models, sometimes I look at the Yang model situation. I'm like, why do I have a read only and a write? And like, there's all these weird subtrees, and I don't understand all this stuff. And I'm like, why do you do that? Like I, it's, it's difficult sometimes. So there's, and there's different validators for different kinds of things. It's kind of annoying, but yeah. So <laughs> any other, any other rants, Frank on? <laughs> well, you mentioned the API one and I was just thinking like, where I'm trying to remember where I saw it. I don't, but you, you mentioned that the, the inconsistency of responses is something that I've been bitten by multiple times where mm -hmm. you ask for something. And if it's more than one, it comes back as a list. But if it's only one, it comes back as just a key value pair, which means now you have to go to the trouble of figuring out, you know, it's like, well, you just made right. my work a lot harder. You know, it's like, yeah. why don't you make it a list of one? I can deal with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I've run into that one a lot. Actually, I think about it. But that's, again, I'm, I'm thinking user interface and user experience. That's more programmatic API stuff, but it's still in the same sort of inconsistency camp. I mean, I'm a consistency freak, so that oh, yeah. that kind of oh, stuff yeah. really gets to me. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm trying to think if I had any other, the truth was I, I wrote some. Well, I mean, CLIzer, CLIzer, it's all over the place, right? Like I said before oh, yeah. we started recording, right? Turn on fast switching in, in Cisco iOS, classic Cisco iOS, and then turn on Cisco Express forwarding. The commands are reversed. There's a verb, 
and there is an object, basically. Turn this on in one. In the other, it's on turn this. Right. And you're like, <laughs> what did you do there? <laughs> See, somewhere else, it's no. No, That's, don't do this. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> you know what I wonder, just because I've no, I've worked in many countries, but every country I've ever worked in, like like built networks in other countries, they've, I've never had to deal with anything but English. Like, do is it common for CLIs to be expressed in other languages other than English? No. Nope. Do, do are these no, not, are these not so. translated? No. Nope. It's all. I mean, one of I, th- I I would say that one of the again, you know, you you if you look at history. I mean, whether you look at like electricity, televisions, cars, I mean, you look at all the industries the U.S. was the first in, right? We're not necessarily the best because if you look at power, most of the world got electricity later, but they got smart. They had used 220 volt as opposed to 110. Um, but when it comes to computers and programming, that same same applies. Almost every language is in English, right? I mean, name a popular language that isn't. We, we kind of got our hooks in early, which is great for us since we're <laughs> English speakers, um, but yeah, now you say that, uh, yeah, you don't really see that much. I mean, uh, from a user interface perspective, I'm, I'm sitting here on a Mac and I will give Apple credit for this. Uh, they, from a very early stage were very internationally oriented, right? I mean, I think the Steve jobs had a real thing for Japan and, and, you know, Eastern countries, which is also a whole different animal when you look at language structure, right? Since it goes right to left and you have all that other, uh, the, I'm drawing a blank on the the terminology use. They are not phonetic languages. They're not letters. It's a pictorial, not a pictorial yeah, language. It it's, a, it, it's it's kind of a pictograph language. I mean, yeah, pictograph. So, yeah. um, but they they actually, I'll give them credit because, like, I go and visit my my in laws in Brazil, and the Mac operating system is completely in Portuguese, which is really neat. And it's really weird at times because sometimes I'll bring up Spotlight or a command prompt, and I'll start typing in what I'm used to typing in. And all the utilities, like uh, there's disk utility. It has a completely different name in Portuguese. But if I start typing disk utility, it will find it just the same. It will, it still has the ability to like, okay, well, yes, this, everything in the user interface is in Portuguese, but it will still track it down for me, which is kind of handy. So I don't have to completely shift. Uh, But the command line, that's still, you know, that's the same English commands that you use, you know, LS, PWD, all the stuff you're used to. It's all the same stuff, which, yeah, I guess we wouldn't call that English, but I mean, it's, uh, it's English like. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It uses Roman, it uses Roman character, English characters. It's it's the same commands we use here. Let's put it that way. So, you know, and it's based off the English words. So. And to some degree, I think we would be a little bit hard pressed to convert our programming languages or something to like Hebrew or Greek mm. because it's very like in Greek word order doesn't matter because you conjugate everything. So, you know, it's a verb because of the conjugation, you know, it's the object of the sentence because of the conjugation, you don't know it's the object of the sentence or the subject of the sentence because of where it is. All it's right. totally the conjugation that makes all that up. So like if you're reading a Greek text and the, the text starts with the verb, that's perfectly fine grammatically from their perspective. It just means the writer is emphasizing the action rather than a person or an object. They can actually emphasize the object, the subject, or the verb, or even an adverb or an adjective by starting the sentence with it, because you know what those all those things are from the conjugation. And if you're a Greek native Greek reader, you just pick it's like, yeah, that's just normal. That's just, that's just, just the way language works. 
So in some sense, like our structure, the, gra- the, 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 the grammatical structure of Romance languages like English and French and, and, um, and Spanish in particular are very order-oriented. And so, you know, it would be a completely different CLI if you tried to make a CLI that was based on conjugation rather than verb order. Verb <laughs> oh yeah, it, could, it couldn't be hierarchical, probably. Like, if it was hierarchical, then you would just be substituting different words. It yeah. wouldn't be another language. It would just be English with different symbols. Right? Yeah, something like that, yeah, is, is where, yeah. That's I mean, that. the complexity would get really, wow, that, yeah. that would get hairy from a, you know, whoever had to deal with that. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I mean, it's like declinations, right? You have, uh, I know I have very limited, but I took Russian in college for a couple semesters. I don't remember almost any of it, but I do remember it's the same sort of idea that you conjugate the object of the verb along with the verb. So, yes. and it makes for interesting situations. So, yes. yeah, but, uh, yeah, for yeah. instance, you know, that, you know, that if the Greek object is in, is in plural, that you need to look for a plural subject and a plural verb. So if the previous verb is a singular verb, but the object is a plural, that is not the verb that goes with that object. You need to go further back and find the correct <laughs> verb. And so it's it's very, it's it's a little bit more difficult. So I just wonder, you know, like if it would have, as much as we complain about the vagaries of English, if it would have been any better. I'm I'm not <laughs> writing, I'm not writing that CLI for you <laughs> in yeah. Greek. Not yeah. gonna do it. <laughs> I, I, you know, I just don't know how that would have worked out. But yeah, you know, it's it's a thing. So yeah, but um the other thing that that well, there's many things that annoy me about it is like verb versus object. I mean, if you're designing a CLI, choose words that are gonna be verbs. It doesn't have to be you don't have to be able to justify why this word is a verb and that is an object, but just be consistent. Always mm. use the same things as verbs, the same kind of things as verbs. I mean, you're not, you don't really have verbs per se. I guess you do, but, and, and, and nouns, you know, try to, try to be consistent, try to be intentional about building it as a language. And we don't do that. We just, we're very sloppy. We just like, I don't know. It's again, it's very much about, um, I've been spending a lot of time uh, tinkering. Well, tinkering. I'm I'm working with uh, Kubernetes of one form or another, and that vagary kicks up even with like kubectl. Like a lot of the command line interfaces today, they're 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 building off the same sort of patterns, and they tend to use like a set or a get type command. But then, like mm-hmm. even with like kubectl, the command you use to talk to a Kubernetes cluster, you use set and get for a lot of stuff unless it's about the cluster itself, then suddenly it's config. And it's like, wait, set and, set and get, I get, because that kind of is a pattern that you had in object-oriented programming languages, right? You have set objects, get objects. Um, but then suddenly you have to remember, wait, no, this is, you know, I want the context of something. Oh no, I need, a, I need to use the config now. And it's those kind of vagaries where you go, gosh, darn it. I just, all I want is consistency. That's, yeah. that's you know. And that's probably an artifact of, the two different contexts being two different pieces of software. And when they were actually building that software, they said, well, I've got to differentiate. So I got fall into a different tree and I, I can't use set. Right. So well, now what do I do? I'll, I'll use config. You know, that's, that's the kind of thing you run into. And, and a lot of times, like I said, it's, it's just that I think that it's just, it's convenience to the coder. It's not convenience to the user. It's, it's unfortunate, but that's well, the way and- it works. And circling back to the original rant that I had with the whole Slack thing, my issue isn't with people changing things. Yeah. 
in that particular instance, my issue was you want to change the whole user interface that people have been using for years. Fine. But give me the option to backpedal. Give me the option yes. to use what I'm used to, right? Give me a transition or, you know, something. They literally changed it without any reversion, any ability to go back until this week. Uh, mm -hmm. It was literally, you know, when I spotted it, I was like, that's all I was asking for from day yeah. one. Like, you want to offer this new thing. It's kind of like, um, what was it? I saw something else the other week. Uh, somebody was running, was it Discord? No. Teams might have been Microsoft Teams, which I loathe, but I mean, there's there's a dumpster fire of a user interface for you. Um, <laughs> but there was a, a little radio or a, a little check box or a switch at the top of this person's screen because they were sharing their screen. And I was like, oh, and it was like, do you want to try the new user interface? So, you know, that's the right way to do it. You know, it's like, yes, this is the way things have been working for now. But if you want to go try the new one, here's your chance to go do it. You know, and if you want to revert back, you revert back. But that sort of, we're just changing it and we don't care if you like it or not. And, you know, and it's not better. It's one thing if you go, oh, this is just intuitively better. You know, version two is so much more efficient than version one. You know, there's no reason not to like it. Uh, but this was not, you know, and that was yeah. that was my beef with it. So maybe that should be a rule for all interface designers. You must have the option to try the new one or back out. And you may only switch to the new one for everyone as the default when 60 something percent or 80 something percent of your existing users decide to switch to the new one voluntarily <laughs> otherwise keep working on the new one until they can until you convince until them. they do <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of it's not a bad it wouldn't be a bad paradigm but yeah yeah and the other thing that's in this range that always really bothers me is dark patterns and probably a lot of people don't know what i'm talking about when i say dark patterns the example i always give is you go to a store online and you put something in your cart and you go to checkout. And when you hit the checkout button, it has automatically added a check or track your shipment, 99 cents. Extended download, $1.99. And you never ask for those. And if you know what you're doing, I mean, like, track my shipment. Really? Come on. If you're shipping it with a standard shipper, I can track my shipment. I don't need to pay 99 cents. To your third-party company to track my shipment, I, I just don't. You know, that's that's just something that UPS, FedEx, and the USPS, well, for some value another, automatically offer, depending on your perspective about those things. But anyway, um, <laughs> so you know, this is a dark pattern, and you don't just see it there where people sell you unnecessary stuff. You actually see it in privacy a lot. How many clicks does it take to turn off? a web browser tracking you not to turn it on but to turn it off mm -hmm. and then how many clicks does it take to turn it on and then how do they label those buttons how do they label those check boxes they don't have anything to do with privacy they're like you know we would like would you like to turn off the 50 percent discount you get from a major retailer <laughs> right. and that's kind of the way they phrase it right that's totally a dark pattern Dude, it's like the totally a dark it's like the whole thing that's been triggered by the i always get the acronym wrong gdpr gdrp mm -hmm. the the european privacy rules um you know you have all these websites now that they always pop up first time you visit them hey cookies but the I, you talk about dark patterns the ones that irritate me are when they pop up i get it because they're trying to follow the rules of you know hey you should be aware of what's being used against you or tracked for you um but a lot of them now they pop up and there's usually three buttons. Do you want to accept everything? 
do you want to customize? In which case you're thinking, oh man, I don't want to click on this and try to figure out what to accept, not to accept, or do you want to not, you know, just not visit the site? And it's just like, that's not really much of a choice. You know, it's, it's <laughs> now some of them are nice enough to be like, do you want to, is it okay for us to track, you know, do all the cookies or just the necessary ones? And I'm like, you know, that's at least a little better. Um, but to me, this is right up there with license agreements and those things like, uh, oh, when you install an operating system, uh, it comes up and for, you know, Apple, I'm trying to think, I haven't looked at, the, I don't remember the latest one, but they, at least for a while, can't say they still do. Cause my memory is not that good. Um, for a while, you know, the, every, every version of their operating system, there's not, there's one part where it asks you about analytics. Like we would like to collect these analytics. It's not, you know, personal information, but they're using it for debugging and figuring out issues. And it was an opt-in, which is to me the right way to do it. Right? If you're gonna if you're gonna ask people for their personal information, if you're gonna ask them for collecting of whatever, make it an opt-in, not an opt-out. Don't make it that the default is if you just click on OK as you go along, you've just opted into a bunch of stuff. You know, you've you've automatically basically been tagged into it. Make it that you have to check the box to to opt in. You know, it's it's a very subtle thing, but to me that's another a sign from a company if they pre-check the boxes for you you know it's kind of like your 99 cent yeah uh sort yeah. of tracking if that is an option that's one thing if they say you know amazon does that with a lot of stuff you order something or lows uh different chains you go to order something you know uh, i recently had to get a, a new washing machine and a dryer and when you go to order they're like okay well we've got those in your basket uh, but we also have to give you new hoses. Are you going to do, you want to do delivery? Yes. You know, do you want to do installation? Well, if you want installation, you're going to have to do this. And, but you have to actually check the boxes. That's the right way to do it. That you offer it. Great. But don't pre-check it for me and make me, you know, we're all of a sudden, wait a minute. I didn't ask for delivery. I didn't ask for installation. I didn't ask for this. You know, it's, that would be the wrong way to do it. So, but I've seen plenty of software where it's the other way around, where it's sort of, if you're not paying attention, you've just voluntarily signed up for a bunch of stuff yeah oh yeah yeah exactly so i don't know i mean i'm trying to think of any other examples of really poor user interfaces designs that i've hit recently in the networking world um i, I don't know it, it's kind of there are places i run into that are again their system level right you want to create a verf nfr routing in linux because there's three different ways of doing it in linux you've got to drop the bash and configure the verfs before you can before FR routing will do anything with them. It's not really FR routing's fault, but it is kind of one of those things where you're like, ah. <laughs> I've, I've heard it proposed that um, somebody should uh, somebody should take VTY shell and make it an all-encompassing configuration interface for the system. Yeah, because FR there's a bunch of stuff it doesn't do in the base system, obviously, yeah. and you know make it a make it a, a thing that would address that. I actually think it's a fantastic idea, but somebody has to expend a lot of energy yeah. <laughs> to do I mean, that. Imagine imagine VTY shell for Unix in general instead of Bash, just as an sure. alternate to Bash. Oh sure, with, sure. With all of the things that you can do in VTYSH, you know, all the different things you can play with, the question marks and everything else. Um, it would actually be pretty nice to configure a Unix box using VTYSH, but you know, there it is. And at the same time, FR routing is kind of moving away from VTYSH in some ways, not entirely, but like, oh, interesting. You know, it's kind of management D kind of makes it 
um, VTYSH feeds management D rather than VTYSH feeding the protocols directly type thing. Oh, so, okay. so you, you're kind of getting the centralized database thing coming into FR routing with multiple ways of doing the centralized database rather than just the one. Not so, the, um, oh, sorry. I was just going to ask. So, so, um, was it always like that architecturally that you had, there was a, a thing no. called management D or this is a recent thing. This okay. is a recent thing. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, and that's one of those situations where all the, all the CLI could change if they wanted it to. Mm-hmm. Now's the time you could do it, but you don't want to because you got thousands of users, millions of users oh, out yeah. there who have yeah. done it this way. And now you've kind of stuck yourself. Like it's really hard to deprecate a user interface once it's in place. Well, the great thing about having it, um, it having the user interface be a subscriber, a, a subscriber to that uh, central manage, management authority, you can build another one. In, in theory, you could build a in different shell. In theory, you could build shell. a different shell if you want to. That's right. You could create Bash for FR routing if you really, yeah, if you really wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure why you would want to do that, but okay. I'm thinking of a I'm thinking of a Bash for loop to configure like 50 BGP neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> We want to see that. Like, you know, you've seen those great big ones. It's like, it like wraps three or four times on the yeah. screen, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's going to hear this and think that I am a crappy human. <laughs> so it's only going to get worse if they go down that rabbit hole because then you'll get your people saying, no, not bash, CSH or ZSH or this or that. And then, oh well, I tried to bring up those peers, but unfortunately I had the wrong shell. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, even in, even in that world, like in the programming world, modal editors, I understand why they were originally designed, but like VI and hex and all that other stuff, it's like, I don't know. I, it, it annoys me to have to go into a different mode to copy and then a different mode to paste and then <laughs> like a different mode to search and a different mode to re- like, stop. <laughs> Just like, oh. <laughs> And then, I, you know, I get the whole thing that I don't want to use anything about my keyboard, but I don't want to have to memorize the Webster's Dictionary to get to the point where I can use the software either. Right. <laughs> but, yeah. So I don't really have anything else to, to bitch about on CLIs or on user interfaces. Well, I probably do, but we probably... <laughs> People are probably tired of listening to us complain about it. <laughs> So Frank, anything else you want to complain about before we wrap up? <laughs> you know, I'm drawing a blank. I really, I'm sure there's other stuff. It'll probably hit me in about you know two in the morning. It's the the morning, same as like yeah. when when people make smart aleck remarks, and I'm the kind of guy that never has a fast comeback, but I'll wake up at four in the morning and be like, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's yeah, right. that's me. So right now it's like, no, I'm drawing a blank. I know there's more, but I I'm totally at a loss. So all I would say is for anybody listening, if you're at all involved in user interfaces or user experience, try to be that person who's using your product and (laughs) and build it the way you'd want to have it yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think if most people did that, because a number of places I've seen where I'm okay, I'll throw this last part out then, because it's in the same realm. I mean, you look at all these products, ServiceNow, anything where the company that uses the product doesn't eat their own dog food for lack of a better way of putting it. And you sit there going, shouldn't that tell you something? (laughs) It's like, you know, you have me calling you and I'm calling your, you know, you build a ticketing system, but then your ticketing system isn't the one you built. It's sort of, you know, and uh, you know, yeah, I could, I could go down that rabbit hole pretty, pretty harshly, but uh, (laughs) 
And I could be like Cisco's website to this day. I'm sorry. Every time I visit it, it's like, this is the company that sort of was, you know, 80 some percent of the internet. And yet their website still in 2023 is slower than molasses. And it's like, come on guys. (laughs) It's like, I mean, you don't realize how bad that makes you look. So, but anyway. So Frank, where can people get in touch with you or follow you? I don't know if you blog any place or do anything like that. Well, I have, I, you know, easiest way to find me is my last name. I have a unique last name. It's S E E S I N K. Or as I always tell people when I'm checking into hotels and stuff, it's like walking in a bathroom, you see a sink. Yeah. Um, it's how they t- typically remember it. But you look that last name up. I'm the only Frank C you think you're going to find in the US. Uh, I have a web, I have a blog site. I have not blogged there in quite some time. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I have accounts on just about everything, but don't bother hitting me up on Twitter. I don't look there really. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm on various slacks, packet pushers, things like that. So I'm not hard to find. Okay, cool. And Tom, where can people find you if they really... If they want to find you. Here if we they go. want to find me. <laughs> LinkedIn. Yeah, see. That's it. <laughs> I'm reducing my, my social footprint. <laughs> we went from giving Tom a hard time about not having a blog to giving him a hard time about only having one social media network. Yeah. Give it a couple months. I'll be down to nothing. I'll be like, you can't contact me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Reach me on Mastodon. <laughs> Yeah, Same thing. Right. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm oh sorry. man! <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, I, I, hey, look, I got a love for the for the folks that have built that because I'm I'm a huge open source distributed kind of guy. I don't like these large social, you know, centralized systems. I mean, if it wasn't Twitter, it'd be somebody else doing a catastrophic mess up. So. Hmm. Yeah. All right. So I'm Russ White. You can find me here at the Hedge on Rule11.Tech. On LinkedIn primarily, I mean, I'm on Twitter, but I don't log in but once a week or so just to post stuff. I don't really do a lot of reading there. But, um, or you can find my email. My goodness, I'm so hard to find. It's just like, it's like pulling teeth trying to find a way to get in touch with me. So, you know, Um, anyway, (laughs) well, we value your attention. We thank you for your time. We know that it's a crazy world out there right now. And a lot of people are vying for your attention. We appreciate that you came and hung out with us at The Hedge, and we will catch you next time. Mm